Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. So we're in a series called Legacy. Sorry, I'm going to move this table over here. Um, We're kicking off a series today called Legacy, and it's really a season for us as a church towards the end of the year. We head towards, we do this every single year. Um, In December, second week in December, we always give a legacy offering, which is like an end of year, kind of above and beyond offering that helps accelerate the vision of our church. People who normally give, give more, and we were able to do crazy things that we couldn't do if church didn't rally and people didn't give at the end of the year. So in this series, we're talking the heart of generosity and giving in general, but we're also talking really just the legacy and the impact that we want to leave. Coming off of child dedications, I think it's so appropriate for us to think about um, what does it look like for us to give our lives over to the things of Jesus, for us to be on mission, serve, make an impact right where he puts us, and, uh, and just believe on faith that God desires to do a big thing in our lives. And so... Um, I'm just thinking about the people who sewed into my life. Like when I was a kid, people who served me and my family and my parents and people who really just served in the local church, people who gave to the vision of what God was doing and and how I'm a product of some people who never even met me and, and how cool that is that we get to be a part of something that's happened really since Christ left and handed the baton to the early church. You and I are standing on the shoulders of all that people who laid down their lives, people who gave, people who served. And today, um, a couple billion people call Jesus Lord because there's people who, who are willing to give and willing to sacrifice. Uh, but there's a difference between giving and being generous. And, you know, giving and, and generous are not the same. And, and we know this because you and I get asked all the time to give to things. Uh, if your kid's in school, it's like, how many fundraisers can we possibly give to for the school you know what I mean how many things can we sell you know what I'm saying like every time you get hit up for it's that moment I have when I go to like buy dog food it's like I've already spent forty dollars on dog food I don't really want to get hit up for a dollar or five dollars for homeless cats you know what I mean but I also don't know if the clerk comes to Soma so I always give like a duck because I I don't know. I don't want them to judge me. Think I'm like not generous or whatever. I do not care about homeless cats, but I'm like every single time I'm like, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll give to it. But I'm not giving out of a, a spirit of generosity or joy in that giving. I'm giving. because I'm obligated to give in that moment. I'm like, you're going to judge me if I don't give this dollar. And so if we're not careful, we can do the same thing when it comes to what God God's asking us to do. Uh, one, what he's already said in his word to do, but then two, sometimes the Holy Spirit will give us application for what he's already said, and he'll just ask us to be generous. And so, If it's that moment where God will ask you to give, and you're kind of like playing it through in your head, and you're going, yeah, but, and you kind of excuse away reasons to not be generous. But the heart of our God is that we would be generous, and he's equipped us. He's given us everything that we need in order to be generous. This is 1 Timothy uh, 6, 17 through 18. The Apostle Paul is talking to his apprentice, talking to his understudy in Timothy, and he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works. Here's how to be rich in good works. And he says this, be generous and ready to share. And I like that last part where he's like, be ready, just be ready to share. Just like kids, just like child dedication today. Hey, I'm going to give you some things for you to steward for a season. 
And when I ask for you to use those in a specific way, just use them and trust me that I can give you what you need in order to accomplish everything I'm asking you to do. The idea is that God's going to give us everything that we need to accomplish his vision for our life. Um, but so many of us feel like we don't have enough. We operate just we don't feel rich, but you are rich. You, you woke up this morning, you looked into a closet full of clothes and you have like three outfits that you wear. You know what I'm talking about? Where you look in, you're like, I don't have anything to wear. And you wear the same four things over and over again. It's like all these clothes, you have things to wear. Or uh, it's the moment where you swing through a uh, drive-thru, you go through Starbucks, you decide, I want to get a $6 burnt coffee with some pumpkin creamer in it and justify, I just feel, it just hits different when you drink $6 coffees that are not really that good to begin with, but just add creamer. And then, uh, or if you're hungry and you go to dinner somewhere, you go somewhere nice. If you go out to eat at all, you're rich, right? Some of you are super rich. You, you, you DoorDash, you DoorDash. Not only do you have to, like, you just wear your pajamas, have somebody else bring you your food that you wanted for, di for dinner. And then, um, like, we love that Instacart. Come on, that Instacart preaches. Like, just bring me my groceries to my doorstep. Thank you. Um, some good things came out of COVID. But this idea of you and I have resources. The iPhones, great example. Come out with a new iPhone. Got to have the new iPhone. Can't have last year's model. Can't have the S model. Got to have the most recent whatever it is in my hands. Um, most of us, that's where we live. And so first world problems a lot of times, too. Like if we're struggling in some way, it's issues that the rest of the world would honestly love to have. Like we complain when gas prices go up, but then we drive $40,000 vehicles while gas prices, we're like, gas is so high. It's like, my man, you're driving, you're driving that, and you're worried about 20 cents in gas. So anyway, so it's like just that, it's just that you are rich is what I'm trying to say. Some of you are like, I don't drive a $40,000 vehicle. Whatever you drive is good, right? It's a, good, it's a vehicle. And so the reason we struggle with stewardship and intentional generosity, the reason we struggle to be generous is that sometimes we have a scarcity mindset. We're more focused on what we don't have than what we do have. We put it this way. Scarcity is about what I don't have, and abundance is about what I do have. Completely different approach, which is I look at my life, and I'm like, man, thank you, God. I got that. You gave me that to work with. You gave me these relationships. You put me in this time. I have the full Bible. Like, I've got it on a phone for crying out loud. I have no, no excuses. I've got, like, health care. We have air conditioning. Come on. Like, we have all the, like, I mean, we, I ride in a car that has butt warmers in Jesus' name. Like, this is crazy. I don't deserve this grace. Like, all the things that you're giving me. Right. And so um, so think but think abundance mindset is like, what do I have versus what I don't have? Most of us are always focused on what we don't have. The reality is, is all you have is all you need. All you have. If you if you're wanting to do great things for God, if you wanted to make an impact on the world, everything you need in order to do that is already in your hand. He's already given it to you. People in your life, your context, lived experience, things, you know, relationships, resources, all that's already there. And, um, but we just operate with, I don't have enough. I don't have enough of what I need. Um, there's a great Bible story and it's a go-to for me when I'm talking generosity. It's in first Kings 17. And it's a story where Elijah shows up at a widow's house and a bit of context. So Elijah goes to King Ahab in the old Testament and, um, and in the Old Testament, he calls out King Ahab uh, in this moment and Jezebel because they've introduced the worship of Baal and they've slaughtered all of the prophets of God and they've almost eliminated worship of God with the exception of Elijah. And there's a remnant there of people who are faithful, people who hold the truth up. And Elijah, he prays that there'll be a drought. Hey, I'm going to 
you know what, let's deal with this issue. I'm going to pray a drought into existence. So he prays a drought into existence. Of course, he lives in the land, so drought also affects your boy, Elijah. So God provides for Elijah. Uh, with, he brings ravens, bring him food. He's like, go hang out at this brook. You can drink some water there, and then ravens are going to bring you some food. He does that. And then the passage that we pick up in today is a passage right after that where he sends Elijah to the widow at Zarephath. And I'm going to pick up right here in verse uh, 7 of chapter 17. It says, Sometimes later the brook dried up, and because there had been no rain in the land, uh, again, he prayed for that. And then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I, it says this, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, we read on later in the passage, she has no idea that he's coming. So it says, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. But we know that she has no idea that he's coming because we read it later on in the passage. And she's completely broke. She's a widow with no resources, has no idea this guy's coming. And yet somehow God's going to work. He fed Elijah with ravens before. And now he's like, here's the source of my provision now, a broke widow in Zarephath. Go over there and I'm going to hook you up. She's going to feed you. So here's, here's the point if you're taking notes. The first thing I see in this passage is God's making a way even when you can't see it. God's making a way even when you can't see it. Even when it doesn't make sense on paper. Matter of fact... Usually that's the way that God works. So we, we like for God to lay it all out for us when it comes to provision or when it comes to the direction for our life, when it comes to the ways that he's going to lead us. But God's working to multiply his goodness and his grace in your life, even when you're not aware of it. Doors are being opened up behind the scenes, creating opportunities, creating encounters, and God's doing all kinds of things. He's at work even when you can't see it. And so it's, we love it when it's obvious to us, but the majority of the time it's hidden and so uh, this is what Romans 8, 28 promises us. And this is a promise to grab hold of if we're a follower of Jesus. We know that God works all things together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called according to his purpose. So even the hard things in your life, even the things you've had to navigate where you're like, how in the world is God going to use this? This is an extremely broken season or this happened to us or what about this job or what about these resources or whatever. The idea is that God's working behind the scenes and he can leverage every bit of that, put purpose on it. And so uh, this is also Job 3420, which Job is like one of my favorite books of the Bible. But anyway, Job 3420, it says, we know God is working behind the scenes. God is working behind the scenes. And so... Uh, she, the widow at Zarephath, she has no idea that Elijah is coming. I want you to think about the times in your life where, um, where it, God was directing you, but you were not even aware that God was directing you. Like, think about friendships or relationships that you have, and now you can look back and be like, oh, cool, I, I totally see what you were doing there. A lot of times we don't really understand what God's doing until we've gone through a season. Right. So we can just kind of which it's an act of faith. It's really just trusting him for like the next right thing. So we're just taking one step at a time. Hey, Abraham, I want you to go in that direction and just walk, my man. Where am I going? Just walk. Right. And so it's just an exercise in faith that we would we would trust him. Uh, but he's working behind the scenes. The, the verse 10, it reads on, it says this. He went to Zarephath. Elijah goes to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there 
gathering sticks. She's gathering sticks. She could build a fire. She's going to make her and her son a cake and then die. That's her game plan. It's, things are pretty bad. So he called to her and he asked, would you come bring me a little water in a jar so that I can have a drink? Again, droughts in the land. And he prayed for it, right? Your boy's thirsty. He shows up in Zarephath. He's like, hey, can I get a cup of water? Can I get some water? Yes, you can get some water. And then um, uh, Elijah, just really quick, he makes, he makes good on another ask. And he says, also, can you please bring me some bread? You bring me a piece of bread as well. And so um, she has this moment where she realizes, I'm, I'm making a fire. I'm getting ready to cook this cake for me and my son. We're going to eat it. We're going to die. And now here's this guy. He rolls up in here, and he's asking me to give him the only thing that I have. Uh, this is... This is all that I have left. My game plan is literally to provide for my son as most, the best that I can. And then I'm assuming pass away after that. But it's just this reminder that faith, following Jesus and faith requires risk. It always requires risk. It always requires giving up. It always requires sacrifice. God's always going to ask you to let go of something that you perceive to be the source. Um, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be food. It can be money. It can be your time. It can be a relationship. It could be some part of your life that you're holding on to that you don't let Jesus lord over, but you're like, you can be lord over majority of my life, just not this part of my life. But he's always going to ask you to sacrifice in order to experience more for your life. I believe that in God's economy, we miss out on the abundant life that he has planned for us if we focus on the fact that we don't have enough. Like, I don't have enough on paper. This is not going to work out, so I missed the miracle. Can you imagine if she was like, no, I'm good. I don't like, first of all, she didn't even make it in the Bible, but, uh, but she misses the miracle entirely if she just decides to not be obedient and be faithful in this moment. And so I want for me and I want for my family the most abundant life and faith experience. And it's going to require that I lead and like I go places and we do things on faith without knowing exactly how it's going to play out. I'll give you a couple examples in my life. And I always have like church examples and I'm so sorry, but like literally that's all I got. Okay. So, uh, Brooke and I, when we first, you know, when, when we felt called to come and live in this direction, we didn't have a ton of resources, didn't have money. And many of you know this story, but like we found, we my father-in-law found our house that we lived in before the house that we live in now on Craigslist. True story, and it was like it was it was in the hood, and it was a beautiful house, best house, worst neighborhood, like the opposite of what Joanna Gaines does. And so we were like, let's do that. That'll be brilliant. It takes us a year of sweat equity and grind and and whoo and you know like God bless that woman over there on the front row, like of just like getting it together. We we finally get into the house, and um. And it's exactly like God provided for our family exactly what we needed in the season that we were in. Like if you'd have told me, hey, you get to live in this house, this big, beautiful house. And I mean, you know, like it's, it was it was crazy. We sixty thousand dollars cash is what we pay for that house. And that was and, and, and I'm telling you, I'm giving you way too much behind the scenes, but it's fine. My father in law actually loaned us the money so that we could get it and refinance it and. And anyway, it's, so we're single income ministry family. Lord, how are you going to provide? We're looking at places, we're looking at places to rent that have mold all up in the basement. And it was so gross anyway, but we, we end up in this house. God provides this house for us. Um, last year with the market peak of the market, we ended up selling the house, moving into the house that we're in now. God provided again for our family in a season where we needed more in a different city. We have five children pray for us anyway. So we're, we're, we're just, we're, we're just doing things on faith. When we started the church, um, 
so <laughs> we were like, we, we told friends and family, hey, we're going to start this church. And everybody in our life, a majority of people in our life were like, oh, that's not a good idea. Please just go get a real job. Like, don't do that. And, you know, they began to tell us all the reasons why it was a horrible idea, which they're true. Uh, and on paper, they were true. And then also when we started the church, we had zero dollars in the bank. I'm not being hyperbolic. It was literally zero. Like, we created a bank account, and they were like, cool, what do you need to transfer over? We're like, there's nothing to transfer. We had to put $50 to open, up, to open up the bank account. So the church had zero dollars. And so towards the end of the year before we planted, we were like, let's, uh, I was like, we got to leverage this moment. So we, we sent out a Christmas card, Brooke and I, with all of our children's beautiful faces on it. And we were like, please pray and you can give here. You know what I mean? Like everybody that we've ever met, like people are like, I don't even know these people. Like people getting the Christmas card, like anybody that would take a Christmas card. And we raised $20,000 the first year. We were so jacked. We were like, okay, we have $20,000. Um, we're, yes, we're so, we're ready. And so, um, so we go to the venue that we're in now and we're talking to the people who own businesses and the people who own the mill and we start to do the math and realize it's going to take about $150,000 to upfit kids space and then, uh, finish what we needed to AV up here for us to just start as a church. And so again, we have $20,000 in the bank. The people who own it, they look at us and they're like, are you good for that? And I'm like, yeah, we're good for that. I was like, we're totally not good for that. Like, you know, what I, mean? I was like, I was like on faith alone. Like, yeah, we, we got this. You know, I'm stressed out, <laughs> praying, I'm fasting, you know, like I'm, I'm getting my mind. And so, uh, but, but what's crazy is um, in that season, as I just, as we just took steps, like taking the next step, doing what we felt like God was asking us to do. He always provided for us. And it was never, it was, it always led with vision and it never led with provision, which is always kind of annoying, but it's always like, go this direction. And you're like, but what about, and he's like, don't worry, I got you. And then you get there and you're like, oh, he did. He totally had me because by the spring of the next year, we were debt free as a church. We didn't owe anybody any money. We had built out the kids space entirely, $150,000. It was like, whatever. And like, so it's just cool to see God come through, but he was like, walk this direction, do this thing. I'll provide for you. Same thing's happening right here for widow at Zarephath. She has just a little bit. She doesn't have very much by way of resources. And um, Elijah comes to her and says, hey, I need you to make me a cake. And she's like, I don't, what are we even talking about? And so faith requires sacrifice. It's, um, we, see this, we see this in scripture in Mark chapter 10. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and it's a story, it's, it's a really sobering story. A guy who's good guy, wants to do godly things, wants to be about the way of Jesus, and yet um, he's still holding on to what he sees as his security, which is his income and his resources and his treasures, his earthly treasures. And he's like, you know. And so Jesus addresses that in this passage. Jesus, he looks at him, and, um, and the guy walks up and says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus begins to tell him about the law. And the guy said, oh, I do all that. I've got all that. I've done, done the law. And then Jesus looks at him and says, good. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him, and I love it. It says he loved him. Jesus loved him. Really desired to be in a relationship with this guy. And said to him, you lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Sobering passage because Jesus desires to be in relationship with this guy, loves him, 
and yet he leaves, he walks away sad because he can't let go of his great possessions, even though he's standing in front of the one who gave it to him. And so it's that time for me and you sometimes in our life where God will ask us to do and we'll look at it on paper and we'll go, we can't afford to do that. We can't do that. That's insane. We can't. Do, and God's going, I know exactly. It's going to be awesome. Like, how would you even do this? He's like, I know. Trust me, it's going to be so great. And I'm not saying that you don't need prudence in your life. I'm not saying that you don't need discipline. I'm not saying you don't need wise counsel. You need all those things. You don't want to be the guy that just runs off, you know, runs off the cliff without a parachute or whatever on faith. You need some people in your life to look at you and be like, really what you need is you need God's word to filter your decisions. Like, is this God speaking to me? Does this sound like Jesus? Is this who Jesus is in the scripture? But also invite some people in your life to really help you filter that as well and affirm, man, this feels like God or not. But all at the end of the day, you just got to let God tell you what God wants to tell you. Because there's going to be some people trying to back you down from doing things on faith and risk and sacrifice in great ways. And so you just have to have a discerning spirit to go, okay, is this of God or not? But faith requires sacrifice every single time. You might have to give up everything in order to get more is all I'm saying. You might have to take all your chips and just push it to the center of the table. That's the, that may be the thing that he asks you to do is just to go all in and sacrifice in great ways in order to be given over to more, which is exactly what happens in this passage. Look at verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. She, tell, she tells him, she says, I don't have bread. You're asking for bread. I don't have bread. And then she says this. And I love the Bible. She says, all I have is a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. I got some water. I'm going to make a fire. Basically, I have all of the ingredients for bread. I just don't have bread itself. And so I, this is the takeaway for me in this part of the passage is that God's provision usually comes assembly required. It usually comes assembly required. It usually, it usually requires some work on our part. Matter of fact, anything that God asks you to do, it's always going to require faith necessitates you to move in a certain direction. People, I know people who've been praying for God to do a thing in their life for three years, four years, 10 years. People just been, we're just going to pray about it. At some point, like pray first. Yes. And amen. Yes. But at some point, do something like at some point, like put some feet to them prayers, like make, you know what I mean? Like God's like, what are you doing, bro? Like I gave you everything you need to like make that happen right now. Like do something. And that's kind of, that's kind of, it's like this. Uh, and when it comes to life of faith and when it comes to risking things, when it comes to sacrifice, when it comes to generosity, God has a job and we have a job. God, you can't do God's job and he's not going to do your job. So he's asking you like, okay, work all the angles that I gave you. You have relationships, you have means, you have resources, you have a way. She has all of the ingredients to make bread. I don't have what I need. Uh, and yet, and yet she does. And so, um, I, it just reminds me of this, that God's provision can be hidden in plain sight. Sometimes in order to experience the miracle we've been waiting for, um, we've got to see that a lot of times the provision is already there. You just got to put it together, right? And so typically we think of God's provision as like something tangible, like food, shelter, clothes, money, like resources that way. Or we think about spiritual, like peace, love, joy, discernment. But his, his provision extends further than that. Listen to this. The Lord also provides opportunities for you to acquire knowledge. You can learn things. He gave you a brain. Uh, explore our world so that we can be equipped and make a positive impact. He takes, he takes your everyday experiences and your everyday relationships, the good, the bad, the ugly, the pleasant, and the painful, 
the understandable and the mysterious, and he uses them to equip and empower you and fulfill a specific purpose in your life. But are you paying attention to what is already there? He uses everything. Nothing is in the economy of God. Nothing is wasted. Everything is used. Everything can be used. And so this is Second Peter 1, 3. It says, for his divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through true and personal knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So not only do we need to be mindful that God's working behind the scenes, creating opportunity for us to experience breakthrough, but sometimes his provision is in pieces. Sometimes it comes assembly required. And then Elijah, he goes on, he says this. She tells him, I don't have what you need. Uh, and then she begins to list the ingredients that she has. And then he says this in verse 13. He looks at her and he says, don't be afraid. I love that part. Like I can imagine her stressing out and thinking, are you kidding me? You roll up in here and all I have is enough for me and my kid. And it's not even enough. And I know we're going to die. And you're asking me for the one thing that I have left. And then Elijah looks at her and says, don't be afraid. And, and he says that because he knows exactly where her heart is. And he knows what the opposite of faith looks like. And the opposite of faith looks like fear. And so he addresses that. The enemy wants you to be full of fear that you don't have enough to be faithful, that you don't have enough to follow God. But 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and self-control. So when, when God asks you to do a thing, give sacrificially, go all in, be generous, he'll give you a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Those will be the, the things that will flavor that generosity. If you feel like God's asking you to give up something, it's only so that you can experience something greater. God will ask you to give up something good so that you can invest in, 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 in great things for other people. I think about the, like, it's really ultimately all about other people. Like, if my motivation for giving my heart of generosity is about impacting the people around me, serving and loving them, impacting the people around me, God will bless that every single time. And I'll get more out of that than if I, Jesus tells us, hey, it's, it's greater to give than it is to receive. It's better to give than it is to receive. Anybody who's ever given with any intentionality and any heart for anybody else knows that's true. Knows it's great to be on the giving end of things when someone who you love gets what you're giving and they light up. And so um, if you feel like God's asking you to give up something, it's only so that you can experience something greater. He doesn't want us to play afraid. And so First um, Kings 17, verse 13, we're going to keep moving. He says this, go home uh, and do as you've said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. She's already said, I don't have enough to make. I'm like, I can't make you bread. And he's like, cool, cool, cool. Go home and make me a loaf of bread. Like she's like, no, I don't only have enough for me and my son. He's like, yes, awesome. Do that. Make it for you and your son. But first, and she's like, you don't understand, bro. Like I only have enough for me and my kid. He's like, yes, that will happen. First, make me a loaf of bread and then make whatever you want. You can make as many cakes as you want after that, right? Just make, make something first for me. And it's this reminder that we have to trust God with your firsts. Trust God with your firsts. He says, but first make a small loaf of bread for me. He could say, yeah, go home, feed yourself, take care of you and your kid. Whatever you got left, whip up a little something for me, which is the way we would love it to be. And so a lot of times that's the way we operate. But he says, no, 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 I want you to trust me. This is a faith exercise. 
I want you to give me a loaf of bread first. And uh, giving, it's really just a reminder of what we see all throughout Scripture where God is asking us to give us his first and his best. It starts in Genesis all the way through Scripture. It's the principle of the tithe is what we see. And the tithe is this reference to 10. It's literally where we get the idea of 10%. But what we see all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament is giving God the first and best. And we generally think of it in terms of, like, finances, because that's where our headspace is, because that's really, if we're being honest, that's where our idol is. But, but we, we think of it in that way. But we're not saying tithe money. We're saying tithe everything. <laughs> tithe your relationships. Tithe your time. You'll hear us say, tithe your time, your talent, and your treasure. And Brooke and I were having this conversation last night, and she had this great insight for this message today, where we were talking through this idea of tithing and giving God your first. And... Um, and, and just the, the struggle it is sometimes for us to let go and really trust God in this way. And, and Brooke was saying, you know, a lot of the times we struggle to really trust God in tithing our, our treasure and in tithing our talent because we don't really tithe our time. And so it's hard for me to give to something and invest in something and sow into something if I don't have a relationship. Like, but, but generosity is our joy because we give to what we love. And if you love something, you spend time with it. If you, if you love a hobby, time is attached to that hobby. If you love people, time is attached to those relationships. If you love some, your vocation, anything in life, you're spending some time, you're spending some head, some head space, some emotional equity in what it is that, that you're attached to financially or even where your talents are. And so it's such a beautiful insight that, man, we need to trust God with our first and primarily we need to trust him with our time. So my challenge for you in this series, if you get nothing else, this is going to be a giving. I'm going to talk about money a whole lot. If you don't hear anything else I have to say, tithe your time. Read God's word. Spend some time with him. Pray with him. Pray with your kids. Pray with your spouse. Begin to like sit, get a worship playlist and just listen to that to and from work. Like just watch what God does in your heart as you tithe your time. Give him, give him that first and that best part of your day, and then watch what he does in the rest of your day. Watch what he does with your desires. All of a sudden, your desires shift, and now you want to serve people, and now you want to help people, and now you want to build the kingdom, and now I want to invest in others. It just changes you. This is 2 Corinthians 9-7. Paul gives commentary to this. It's one of my favorite passages on giving. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Why? For God loves a cheerful giver. Not out of obligation, not out of compulsion. I don't want you to give because you have to. I want you to give because you get to. And so one of the reasons why we don't, like, this is the reason why we don't really pass a plate for us as a church is I don't really want you to, I don't want to obligate you to put a 10 in because your neighbor did. Like, somebody's going to judge me. It's that moment that I have at the checkout at PetSmart. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really want that moment for you. I want giving to be an act of worship. I want you to put God first and best in the area of giving why? Because you get to, not because you get credit, not because of what somebody else might think of you, but just as an act of worship and an act of faith and a trust that he'll take care of you and do exactly what he said he would. So we should value our relationship with Jesus, our freedom from sin, and our gospel so highly that we would simply love to give to others because we get to. We don't give to get. We get to give is the idea of the gospel. We, he will give us everything that we need so that we can bless people in every way, so that we can be an extension of his grace in every way. He'll outfit it. And so 
make, here's my, as a challenge for us in this season. If you're new to our church family, you've been coming for a few months and you feel like this is home, make giving to the Lord your first move. Before you spend on yourself, give to God. And the way that we do that as a body, is, uh, body of a believers is through tithes and offerings. And again, we don't advertise it or talk about it a lot. But really everything that we do as a church family operates off of people who just worship Jesus through their giving. They just tithe. So everything we do, every bit of life change, every bit of activity, everything. I'll give you a great example. We had a, we had a college event just on Thursday night. Uh, in, and it's 18, 25-year-olds. We had over 100 of them in this room worshiping Jesus, praying together. And then, and then we do a teach. And then nine people respond to the message, change their mind about who Jesus is in this message. And, but, like, we, we have food that we, like, we feed them. How many of you know 18 to 25-year-olds? Come on, in that season of life, you feed me. What's up? I'm coming to that party, right? So it's like, what have we got to do to get them in the house, get them to worship together? But it's like, those things take resources. Turn the lights on. The seat you're sitting in, I'll never forget, the guy who wrote the check uh, for the seats that you're sitting in, he was like, you're probably going to need some seats. I was like, we definitely are going to need, so it was like $10,000 for the first 250 chairs that we bought as a church. And he was like, yeah, definitely, you probably need some seats. And so, but someone sewed into it. Somebody bought the seats that we sit in. Everything that we do is paid for by people's tithes, and they worship Jesus by giving him their first and their best, and offerings that above and beyond legacy that we're talking about, where people just say, I want to accelerate the vision. This is dope. Why would I not give to this? This is awesome. Life change. Let's go. Just last series, 77 people gave their lives to Jesus. Then we had... Uh, uh, 17 people baptized. We've had 68 people baptized this year. We're getting ready to baptize some more next week. I don't even remember what day it is. Next week. It's going to be awesome. And so it's like we get to be a part of this. But not only that, we were talking last night. It's just a reminder that that's the jumping off point. Now, and, and we've been a witness to this, we get to see God do a great thing in people's, like, in, in your heart. Shit desires. People become more like Jesus. People find freedom from addiction. People's relationships are restored. People's families are healed. People like all of a sudden people have purpose in ways that they didn't before, all because of what we get to do together and the sacrifice that we make. We just have to trust God with our first is really what it's about. And we keep reading on this in this passage, verse 14, it says this, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, this is Elijah telling the widow, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Years. Verse 15. She went away and on faith she did exactly what Elijah said. She, and you know that moment where she's making this bread and making this cake. She's like, this is the most insane thing I've ever done in my life. But she's making this cake for him. And uh, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. The jar of flour was not used up. The jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This idea that obedience opens the door to abundance. Obedience opens the door to abundance. I love this passage because um, Elijah says this is the word of the Lord and he gives her the word of the Lord. And then on faith, she applies the word of the Lord to her life. And then she reaps the benefits and the fruit from applying the word of the Lord. She takes a hold of the promise that God has for her, believes on faith, and then sees that the promise is true when she runs the play. And you and I can do the same thing with any passage of scripture. You and I, anytime God makes a promise to his believers, to those of us who are in Christ, you can take a hold of that promise, apply it to your life, and then see, oh, he's for real. Oh, he's not playing. Oh, he's being, oh. 
oh, okay, cool. Like, I thought that was just something we said. I didn't know that was like, <laughs> I didn't know that applied to me. He's going, yeah, all of the promises are yes and amen. All of the promises are there for you. But it ha- you have to obey. You have to, like, the miracle and the thing that God desires to do in your life, the abundant life that he has for you is on the other side of obedience. And so if we obey what God's asking us to do, there will be abundance. Ephesians 3 reminds us he wants more than you could ask or imagine. Whatever you're dreaming up is silly to him. He's like, whatever. I got bigger. I got better. I got, I got more incredible life for you. And I'm not talking about in terms of money. And I'm not talking about in terms of house or in terms of like, you know, success the way that we think of success. I'm talking about in terms of coming alive, like in ways that you never could have imagined if you'll be obedient. And so what's crazy is this whole miracle that we see in 1 Kings 17, like we read it and we're like, oh, that's so cool. That's so awesome. So like Elijah went and then like on faith, she did a thing and then she got power and it didn't run out and oil and it didn't run out. And that's awesome. And we, if we keep reading, your, stop reading your Bible, you don't keep reading on and you miss like a really incredible thing that all of this leads up to. Look in verse 17 of that same passage. Um, so the woman who owned the house, uh, her son becomes ill and he grew worse and worse. And then he finally stopped breathing. He passed away. Verse 18, she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? She's like, what is all this about? You came to my house. You asked me for bread. I was like, I don't have any. All I have are all the ingredients for bread. And I just had enough for me and my son. You were like, cool, go make me one anyway. Make it first before you make anything for yourself. And then I did. And the, the, the oil didn't run out and the flour didn't run out. And it was like a miracle. It was awesome. But then my son died. What was the point of all this? This is so dumb. This doesn't make any sense. And so Elijah picks up her son, puts him uh, in his arms, takes him up to this upper room and begins to intercede and pray for her son. Three different times he stretches out. The boy begins to pray and ask God. And he says, Lord, Lord, man, would you hear my cry? Here's what he says in this passage. He says, um, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And then the Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Then Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son's alive. Now, you, now the, the oil and the flour thing is cool. Like that would be really cool and that would be wild. Let's be real. That would be really, that would be wild. But imagine you had that moment and then your son's dead and now your son's not dead anymore. And here's what I think about 1 Kings 17. I believe the whole encounter, I believe the whole reason why Elijah shows up isn't for flour and oil. I think the whole reason why he shows up is for the little boy. And she's got an opportunity to say yes. On faith, trust, sacrifice in a big way. And as a result, her yes gives her an opportunity, just leads her to a place where she's able to not only experience the miraculous provision of God, but resurrection. Your son is alive. I believe that her faithfulness brought about the second miracle, the resurrection. I I believe it's one of the things, like if she said, no, I'm good, keep rolling. Like, what does that look like? And so I'm just thinking about for my own life, how many times do I miss out on a moment where I'm able to impact other people for the sake of eternity, but I just say no to what the Holy Spirit's asking me to do? 
and I lack trust and I lack faith and I'd rather hold a little bit too tightly to my own provision and my own resources and my own control and my own, I don't know if I can let you. And it's not even about money. It's all areas of life. What am I holding too tightly to and what am I living? How does God ask me to live? Like, let me live this way so I can be a conduit. God, you just work through me. Do what only you can do, but do it through me. And so that's, that's my prayer for our church in this season is that we would be a conduit just of radical generosity, sacrificial giving. Why? For the sake of future generations. We're in this season as a church where uh, we've experienced a lot of growth. We've also experienced a season here. We don't own this space. For those of you that are new to our church family, we don't own this. We lease this. And, and our church is growing. We're averaging like right at a thousand people on any given Sunday. And at some point we just need to like move on a more permanent facility and move into that, that season. And so we're there. Okay. We've been praying, we've been looking and God sent us all kinds of places. And, but just recently we had some people reach out to us and they, uh, it was not on our radar at all. As a matter of fact, we reached out to them about something different, entirely different. We reached out to somebody about land and they were like, also this building. And it was not on our radar. And we were like, are you kidding me? It's wild. Like, I want to tell you so, I want to tell you so bad, but I can't because we don't have it. We don't have it secured because we, we need to, as, as a church family in this season, sacrifice what we can. Again, you're not responsible and I'm not responsible for somebody else's portion. I'm only responsible to what is the Holy Spirit telling me to do? And then I do that. And then collectively, God provides for what we need, but it's assembly required. And if all of us come together, we can do so much more than we can, just a handful of us or 20%. But man, my, my goal for this season of legacy as we head into the end of the year, my ask for everybody who calls Soma home is for you to pray about, think about ways that you can help um, reach more people, serve more people, and really just disciple, steward what God sent us in this house. And the way that we're going to do that is through sacrificial generosity. And so uh, I don't even know exactly how it's going to look. I wish God, he was just like, just tell him, just tell him to pray about it, think about it, begin to give and begin to pray and think on what that looks like for their life. But as we move towards the end of the year, I want you to just be thinking about that for you and your family. What's my portion? What's my place? God, what do you want me to take a hold of? And how do you want me uh, to, on faith, trust you with what you've handed me so that I can reach more people, serve more people, and so that I can experience resurrection? Let me, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for the privilege that it is to gather, do things like child dedication, and uh, God, to be able to see little ones who are going to grow up in a home where faith is a priority and a love for you, Jesus, is a priority. And, and help us um, as a church family to come alongside and pray for really every single family who calls Soma home. And, and knit us, really just knit our hearts together. Give us over to uncommon unity. Give us over to a shared vision of seeing lost people saved and saved people discipled, discipled people sent. God, you build what only you can build. And, and we know the way that you're going to do that is you're going to ask us to risk something. You're going to ask us to give up something time, talent, treasure. And it's going to feel like something that, that we have to give up. But what you're going to do is you're going to actually reform and, and shape our hearts into more of the heart that you have. And you're going to help us to realize that we're actually not giving anything. We're just returning what you've already given us. And we get the opportunity to give. We get the opportunity to invest in other people. So give us over to that spirit today and help us to see that we have opportunities all around us Sunday as a church, but also just all around us to be generous, 
to be a conduit of your grace. I'm praying for every single person who's here today, God, who we hold a little bit too tightly to certain parts of our story, certain parts of our lives. It doesn't have to be finances. It could be something else. But we don't let you lord over that. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, you soften and ripen our hearts over to a place of full surrender. Help us to live our lives open-handed. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never really fully surrendered your life to him, you've never, as the Bible says, repent, you've never really changed the way that you think about who Jesus says he is. I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. Your moment of salvation is the moment you realize who Jesus is in relationship to who you are. You say, I'm a sinner and I'm, I'm in need of a Savior. Here's the, here's the God that we serve. Christ, who is rich, stepped into our poverty so that we who are poor could become rich. We could experience his righteousness. We could experience his grace. We could experience an eternity in right relationship with God, not based on merit, not based on good behavior, not based on our own riches, but based on his, based on who he is and what he did on our behalf. God so loves you, he gave his son. That full expression of radical generosity is what he calls us into, a life of giving, a life of surrender, a life of serving, a life of being a conduit for his word and for his mission. And so if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, never gone fully in, you, you want to change your mind about who Jesus is today, I would love to lead you in a prayer. Prayer doesn't save you, Jesus does. But I want to give you a moment of confession. So with all of our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, that's right where you're at. If you want to surrender your life today, change your mind about who Jesus is, would you just lift your hand in the room and just say, that's for me. I need what God's offering right now. I need, I need a bold faith and a conviction and a surrender in Jesus today. Yeah, and right where you're at, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for laying down your life in my place. Thank you for offering me over what I don't deserve. God, just completely broken, and yet you offer restoration and healing, and you offer purpose and a new life in you. So give me over to not a, not a scarcity mindset, but a mindset of abundance, Lord. Love you, praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.